With over 50 years of real estate experience, the team at Powell Fine Homes have dedicated our careers to taking care of our clients, ensuring that they get the best possible results and service when they engage us to represent them. From first-time home buyers to multi-million dollar home sellers, from regular sales to short sales and foreclosures, we've seen it all and educated our clients along the way. As broker owners, we have serious visibility into the Los Angeles and Ventura County real estate markets and are about to share some of what we're seeing with you right now. Get ready for the Powell Fine Homes Real Estate Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our first podcast for 2019. We did have a series in 2018, but it was kind of stuffy, so we kind of pulled the plug on that one, and we're going forward with this one. It turns out that a good friend of ours, Tristan, has a company called Lab Coat Agents. It's actually a group of professional agents all over the country. I think they're just under 100,000 members now and on Facebook. And yesterday they had a great webinar uh, with, what was her name, Marsha? No, Sharon. Sharon McCormick from a company called Podcastic. And she really changed how I thought about podcasting. I've, I've done it before, had a certain philosophy, and she opened my eyes to some things I hadn't really been thinking about. So we're going giving you a new reborn podcast, if you will. It's still going to be real estate related, specifically San Fernando Valley, Conejo Valley, Simi Valley, you know, that part where it overlaps Los Angeles and Ventura County, because that's where we do most of our business. We've certainly gone as far north as Santa Barbara and as far south as Temecula, but by and large, most of our business is in LA and Ventura County. So we're going to talk about a few things, but instead of being just market updates and all the other stuff that we've talked about in the past, we're going to mix it up. We're going to talk real estate, of course, throw in a little history lesson here and there. Uh, for example, I was driving down Topanga Canyon Boulevard through Canoga Park the other day, and I was thinking about some of the things I've learned over all the years we've lived here, and most people don't realize this, but in this one little section, about three or four blocks of Topanga Canyon Boulevard, you come across Canoga Park High School, and you see the old auditorium on the far right-hand side, the southern side of that block, most people don't know, but Martin Luther King actually gave a speech there. There's a recording of it. It was in the early 60s. It's not the full speech, but it's just the intro. But, you know, right there, Topanga Canyon, Dr. Dr. King. I mean, it's just, I think it's pretty cool for being in this kind of place. And then you go down a couple blocks, and on the left-hand side, the south side of the street, I'm sorry, the west side of the street, you have Our Lady of the Valley Catholic Church. Lucy, Lucille Ball, I love Lucy, and her husband, Ricky Ricardo, got married there. They also had the baptism or confirmation of their first child there too there's all kinds of pictures of it but you know just little cool pop culture stuff like that although dr king's not pop culture that's more like civil rights culture but anyway cool little things you never knew about the valley so we're going to include things like that for all three valleys as we go through and talk about different things we're going to talk about what's going on in the market how to do that if we're going to be in real estate and uh probably going to talk about surfing and off-roading a little bit too, because those are other hobbies that Kirsten and I have that we're pretty passionate about. But let's start with real estate. So what's going on in the market? As we go into 2019, what can we expect? You know, why aren't homes selling? They are, but not like they were earlier in the year. The Woolsey fire, you know, that certainly affected all of us at some level. How's that going to affect resale? How's that going to affect rentals? I want to talk about what's going on with interest rates. We certainly see that going up quite a bit. And then in general for 2019, what do you, what do I think I'm going to see? I mean, nobody has a crystal ball that works, but there's certain, you know, educated guesses I can make based on all the research I've done. And then uh, I want to close up talking about what's a normal market because we seem to be 
you know, the experts say we're heading towards a normal market, but my question I always ask when I hear that is, what is a normal market? So, with, without going too much deeper into the bullet points of what we're going to talk about, let's talk about what's going on in the market. So, the case Schiller, you know, Robert Schiller really does hate real estate, I think, but he came out with the, the new, I say he, they came out with the newest report uh, either yesterday or the day before. And I only want to focus on the LA metro area. They're talking about what our price increases were, I mean, the headline was talking about, oh, price increases are slowing down, and they are. But for year over year, meaning this November over last November, we're up 5.5%, which sounds good on the surface of it. But the reality is most of those gains were front-loaded into the first and second quarters of the year. We noticed, I guess, let me think about this for a second. I would say July, when the books are written for this particular cycle of real estate, which we're just coming out of the very peak, I think, and coming out of the red-hot seller's market, getting back towards more of a, a balanced market, if you will. I don't know if it can be normal or not, but certainly a more balanced market than we've seen for the last three and a half years. I think they're going to say July was it where it started turning. And what we're seeing is a number of things. Earlier in the year, I think we were down to about two and a half weeks of inventory in some parts of these valleys. And as of yesterday, we're bumping up against five months worth of inventory right now. So in a period of nine months, it went from almost nothing at all to five months, which is still not really a full healthy market. By and large, six months of inventory is considered a balanced market where it's not a buyer's market, it's not a seller's market, it's just kind of in the middle. And hopefully we get there and stay there. Although I certainly remember, gosh, I guess it was 2009, either late 2009, early 2010. At one point, I think we were at 19 months of inventory when the foreclosures were everywhere, it was kind of hairy, but you know, it, it's, I was talking to somebody the other day, it's like, we've been doing this in this area for 15 years now. And I don't know that I've seen a normal market in any of those years because it just, it was out of control, but we'll, we'll close the podcast with that conversation. So talk about the comps, 5.5% growth in the median price from last November to this November. But when you get into the closer near-term window, when you look at month over month, when we look at the difference in pricing between October and November, the increase is only 0.1%, one-tenth of 1%. And it's slowing for a number of reasons. Number one, you know, if you want to get down to the hyper-local level, the Woolsey fire certainly disrupted all of us. That's one thing. Rising interest rates spooks buyers. That's another thing. It also in California, our prices have come up again so high that it's pricing a lot of people out of the market. They simply can't afford between the down payment and the monthly costs and the interest and the property taxes and all the other things that go with owning a home. Some people simply aren't making enough money for it. Another side effect of that is for the first time in Kirsten and Mai's career, we're actually having more sellers move out of state now than moving within the three valleys. I mean, we usually would see a progression from either San Fernando Valley into Conejo Valley or Simi Valley into Conejo Valley or San Fernando into Simi or something like that or to Moore Park. But we're actually seeing people, nope, I'm selling and I'm moving east. So, you know, I, for whatever reason, we're starting to see a, a lot of outbound traffic that we have not historically seen, in, at least in our clientele. So, another thing we're seeing is a lot more inventory coming in the market and it's sitting a lot longer, which is disconcerting if you've you know, been sitting for the last three and a half years watching homes sell for, you know, over asking with multiple offers within the first three or four days they were on market. 
And now that's changed. So automatically everybody goes back to 2008 and think, oh my gosh, we're going back into another great recession. And I don't think that's going to happen. When we look at all the data, the fundamental data that could cause something like that, it's simply not there. I mean, you know, the, take the political aspect out of it. Take the, you know, the fight between the White House and the Federal Reserve and the Democrats and the Republicans. I mean, all that creates uncertainty, which does affect the stock markets, which you know we're seeing quite a bit of this quarter. But we don't have the liar loans that we had. I mean, Washington Mutual and their pick a payment. Oh my gosh, you know. That probably by itself, well, it's probably one of the top two or three contributors, that, that particular program. I understand when they ran the initial modeling of it that they, well, let me step back for a second. The, the, the Washington Mutual pick-a-payment plan, you could buy a house, and on the loan you had three choices. You could pay the fully amortized, you know, 30-year principal interest, the whole nine yards in one payment. You could pay interest only. Or you could pay one half of the interest, and then the other half of the interest would roll back into your principal. So, you know, the model said uh, 10% of the people will do half the interest, another 20% will do interest only, and the rest of them will do a fully amortized mortgage. So they're like, great, let's roll it out and push it as hard as we can nationwide. Because back then, those were what we called, well, a lot of us called them liar loans, but they were called stated stated in that you could have a stated income, meaning that the person just told the lender, I make a million dollars a year, and they'd say, okay, then you make a million dollars a year. And they could say, I have an 805 FICO score, and they'd say, okay, and they didn't check. So all of these loans were bundled. We, you know, we know what happened. They all blew up, and we had to pay the price. But that type of lending doesn't exist now. Quite honestly, it's even harder to get a loan today than it was 15, 20 years ago. So We've got better lending standards. Actually, I think they're too tight. Not that I want to go back to what we saw that cost 2008, but I think they need to relax a little bit past where they are right now. We're also seeing historically low numbers of uh, defaults on homes. Right now, I think we're at a 14-year low in the number of homes that are defaulting. I am seeing an uh, uptick both in credit card defaults and auto loan defaults, but I don't know. Those aren't my world, so I don't really spend a lot of time on those, but when I'm looking at defaults and other fundamentals that could lead us into another serious financial issue, we're not seeing anything like we saw leading up into 2008. So we have more inventory that's dragging out, uh, you know, how long they take to sell. We got seasonality that plays a little bit about it, but, you know, quite honestly, people are concerned about rising interest rates. They're, they're worried about, you know, the bottom falling out of the market like it did in 2008. And they don't want to pay, you know, full pop for a house today and watch it go down 40% over two years. That, that's not a valid concern right now, but from an emotional and psychological standpoint, it certainly is, so we get that. We've got uh, sellers who are actually not that realistic on pricing, and we're seeing a lot of that simply because they've been for three and a half years, they've been waiting for the time they could sell. Now they're finally getting there over the last month or two, or some of them are even waiting for January to come out on the market. And they're saying, well, my friend down the street, he has the same house I do, Mine's actually upgraded more than his, so I should sell for 10% more than his should, or 5% more than his did. And what they're missing is that those sales that were so crazy in the early part of the year, you know, January through, say, May, they're not here anymore. And even next January through May, they're not going to be there either. The, the lack of inventory that we had for the last three years 
is what was driving the hard competition where we saw multiple offers on everything and really nice homes selling, you know, the same day. If you take a great home that's turnkey ready and priced right, it'll sell them you know, with multiple offers today as well. It's just most people are pricing them to the point where they're figuratively asking somebody to pay $21 for a $20 bill, and the buyers are just not doing it. So pricing's part of it. The buyer shock is part of it. Seller shock is part of it. You know, I think we're just now getting out of that window where every time a market turns, and this is the third shift cycle that Kirsten and I have gone through, but every time a market turns, you get this period of time that usually lasts for three or four months, and we're probably about three months into it right now, where sellers don't realize or don't want to recognize that demand has softened, so prices need to come back a little bit, and buyers, noticing that homes are staying on the market longer, thinking that, hey, you know, we're going to have these prices drop, so I want to get my discount baked into the price I pay, so I'm going to offer 10 or 15% less than asking price. So, between because the two sides are so far apart, you know, there's offers being written, but there's just not things going into escrow, so it gives the appearance that nothing's selling. Also, as homes sit on the market two, three, four months, the sellers finally realize, or the agents finally convince them, that, hey, you know what, it is a pricing issue, let's bring the price down. There's some neighborhood, some zip codes even. I was doing some research last week. There's a part of Thousand Oaks where I believe it was 72% of the active listings had had a price reduction over the time they've been on the market. So pricing's critical. Presentation is critical. And when I say presentation, how did your agent show you on the market? Everybody's on the internet. I think the last number I saw was... 92 or 93 percent of all people, all buyers, look on the internet before they even call an agent. It used to be, you know, when we started, it was like in the 30, 40 percent. But now the internet's so prevalent, you know, especially with mobile phones the way they are now, everybody's looking at it. So you have to be quick and you have to be well presented on the market. You have to have professional pictures, video. You certainly want to get video. You certainly want to have drone shots. You want to stand out. If somebody's taking cell phone pictures of your home, it's probably going to sit in the market longer than your neighbor who had a full professional photographer and a really nice presentation on the internet. So, we've talked about the pricing. We've talked about buyer's hesitation. We've talked about interest rates. So, let's move on to the next one. And I'm sorry this is going, uh, it's a little bit rough this one. I'm not even editing. This is being done in one take. As I go, just because I'm crushed for time today, uh, the next one will be a little bit more polished, I promise. So, Woolsey Fire, how is that going to affect my home's value? So, that one depends on where you live, to be honest. We have a gentleman in our office who's a good friend, Dave McLaughlin, and he lives in Malibu Lake, and Malibu Lake took a pretty big hit, and uh, I believe during the fires, Dave actually stayed with his house and was sitting there with a hose until the fire just got so close he had to jump in the lake, literally. And uh, he lost part of his garage, but the home was saved. But, you know, they lost a lot of homes, and a lot of the homes that are still there have big hills right next to them that have no vegetation on because everything burned. So that particular place is going to have serious effect on the pricing, you know, for the, at least for the short term or you know, next year or two. North of Zuma Beach, they got hit hard in Malibu. Uh, there's a couple sections of Point Dune that really got devastated. The areas that burned hard, there's going to be a couple of things. You got the psychological impact of driving down. Matter of fact, two of our listings had fires 
Uh, we have one in West Hills that had fire within 50 yards of it. And then we had a house up, up in Thousand Oaks up on Sapper Street where, you know, 200 yards down the road, houses burned down to the ground. So, you know, every, every neighborhood got some of it if you were south and west of where the fire started up in Woolsey Canyon. So let's talk about what the actual impact is. You're going to have some pricing impact, you know, if you're in an area that really got hit hard, Malibu Lake, that whole corridor all the way down to Malibu, uh, parts of T.O. where they burned up all the way through the open space, Agora and Oak Park took a couple hits. Those houses that are right next to the Black Hills, as long as they remain black, there'll be some impact there. The bigger issue I think that we're going to come across that I've already talked to a few insurance agents about is the cost of the insurance going forward. Because a lot of the insurers are pulling out of those neighborhoods who backed to open space or had a lot of fire damage. And what they're doing is they're forcing the, the homeowners into the California Fair Plan, which is a very, very expensive fire policy. And it, it's fire only. It won't cover you for your liability. It doesn't cover you for theft of contents or all the other covered perils you want covered. So you're going to have to have companion policies. When Kirsten and I lived in Florida... And, you know, 30 plus years ago, I used to be an insurance agent in Florida with property and casualty. And what we would do for the most part was you would have a homeowner's policy for the property that covered fire, theft, liability, things like that. And then you would have two companion policies. You'd have one for flood if you were near the coast. And, well, actually in Florida, just about everybody needs flood. And then you also had a second wind policy that uh, for hurricanes and tornadoes and stuff like that. So we're going to see that. And the costs on the California Fair Plan are... I don't know that they're totally prohibitive because most of the, those neighborhoods are, are pretty high-end houses anyway, but it's a lot of money. So as buyers go in, write offers, and get into escrow, and they start doing their investigation, they have to have insurance. Unless it's a cash deal, they have to have insurance on the house as they're going through it. And the price that comes back on the policy is going to shock a lot of people. We've already heard from a couple of people that you know, they were right up against open space, and they were getting seven and $8,000 quotes just for the fire policy per year, not including you know all the other stuff you have to have. So... That's going to have some impact, but quite honestly, here in California, people have short memories. So, you know, once you get past a two or three year window and the insurance settles down somewhat, I don't think it's going to be a big, huge issue, simply because I look at what happened to Porter Ranch. We had a client last spring that we sold a home, almost a million dollars up there, and it's literally within view of the canyon where the gas leak was. That uh, when Semper Energy had the one that evacuated so much of Porter Ranch and caused all the issues they had. And we were asking the clients, I'm like, you see right there, you can look out of your bedroom window and look right up the canyon where the gas leak was. If it happens again, it's going to come right down here on you. Are you sure you want to make this purchase? And because of the quality of life and some other things that go in with that, they're like, sure, no problem. And the prices, you know, while the leak was going on, certainly came down some. But as soon as the leak was capped, everybody quit talking about it. Prices rebounded quickly, and now they're selling just like everybody else in the area. So, you know, California burns all the time. People are kind of used to it. So it's a short-term hit, but it's going to re rebound fairly quickly. Now, rentals are a different conversation. There is a law in California that says that if you have a rental and there's a natural disaster, and I'm paraphrasing here, but if there's a natural disaster, you cannot raise your rental price by more than 10% or else it's considered gouging. And then there's a fine for both the agent involved as well as the uh, landlord. We have seen a number of people who had homes for sale and they decided, you know what? Let's put it up for a high-end rental and see how much we can get for it. And since it's never been on the market before, we can't be accused of gouging. 
And there is some of that. But what's happening is it's raise, artificially raising the rental prices just because they're getting snapped up so quickly. And we're actually seeing multiple offers on nice houses for rentals uh, for the people who were, you know, where they lost their house for the fire. And uh, the insurance companies, they're paying, you know, 10 months, 12 months worth of rental. So we're seeing the rentals get snapped up pretty quickly. But I think that will settle down also as we get into February and March. Because by at that point, the people who lost their homes either have a rental or they're not coming back. Because they're, they're just not going to get in a motorhome and drive around for a couple months. You know, rebuilding the houses is going to take the better part of the year. Especially when you think about how little building goes on in this area anyway. And the fact that so many homes were destroyed, I think it was 504 homes was the last number I heard, as well as another few hundred that got damaged to the point where they'll need some work done too. The question becomes, where do we get the crews to rebuild them? I mean, there's only so many contractors in the area. There's only so much skilled labor for the things that need to happen. And all of a sudden, there's 500 you know, sites that need to be rebuilt. So that part of it will work itself out in the next year or so too. So, uh, you know, the rental situation, I would assume by, you know, March, April, May, we'll start settling back down some. And also, it's getting expensive to rent here, too. I mean, it's still cheaper to buy in California because the rents are so high, but that's going to hit a tipping point as well. It's interesting that the, uh, typically you'll see in California real estate, you know, as home prices come up, rent prices go down. If rent prices go up, it's usually a sign of the home prices going down, and they, they, they usually work along each other there's some kind of coupling effect for the last two years or three years it, it they've both been rising in tandem and and there hasn't really been any softening of either side although we're just now seeing the resale prices start to soften again so uh you know i, I going back to my comment earlier i don't think there's any such thing as a new normal anymore but uh we'll see where that goes so the next thing i want to talk about was interest rates they're up a point and a quarter right now, roughly, from this time a year ago. And because Jeremy Powell, the uh, the head, the Fed chairman, is being so aggressive on raising them when inflation really isn't an issue, he's acting sort of like Paul Volcker did back in the early 80s, but Paul Volcker, you know, he had some serious inflation that took the interest rates. He took them all the way up to 18% at one point. But he actually had inflationary issues he had to deal with. We really don't have much inflation. And I realize that they're trying to get everything back to what they consider normal. We certainly have had artificially suppressed interest rates for the last decade. There's no question they did it as a monetary policy move to make everything easier for everybody to get back on their feet, get the banks back on their feet, get the people back on their feet. And they probably held it down too low for too long. But he's really jumping them up pretty quick. But they're silver lining in all that is it spooked the stock market so bad that they've shed so many points this quarter that the interest rates are actually cheaper now than they were a month ago. At the end of November, we were bumping up close to 5%, and in some cases over 5%. I know some of our investors were getting quotes at 5.62 and 5.75 for a while there. But um, now as of, what's today, Friday, yesterday I was speaking to a lender 5.625, I'm sorry, 4.625, is uh, the going rate right now for a 30-year conforming, which, you know, which is higher than, than it was a year ago or two years ago. But at the same time, prior to 9-11, you know, any loan below 7% was a really good deal. So 
you know, I don't know that we're going to wind up with 6% or 7% interest rates in the foreseeable future, but I do think we're going to wind up by the end of next year, probably 5.3, 5.4, somewhere in there. And what, what you got to realize is that even a half a point of interest rate hike, say, you know, you want to be looking at a house you're going to buy and you're going to have a $600,000 loan. If the rates go up a half point and you pay the same price, you know, six months from now as you did today, but there's a half point difference in your interest rate, you're going to pay roughly $200 a month more in that loan. If it goes up a full point, it's close to $400 a month. So, you know, it robs you of your purchasing power. So you definitely, if you're a buyer or you're planning to buy in the next six months, especially if it's six months to a year, sooner rather than later will be your better strategy simply because you want to get in front of those interest rates. They have a far greater impact on your monthly payment than any kind of foreseeable drop in prices would have. So you definitely want to get on top of that. So moving on to 2019, what do we think we're going to see? I read an article, it was a survey, it was that included all the big hitters, the National Mortgage Brokers, the uh, National Association of Realtors, and four other uh, you know, national type organizations like that. And they're, they all agree that we're going to see more units in 2019. They don't all agree on pricing. But they all, and they don't all agree on how many units we're going to see. And I, Kirsten and I were talking about this this morning. We, we agree that we think we're going to see more units this this year. There's more people who, in California anyway, are wanting to sell whether they're moving out of state. Not so much downsizing. Most of the people we see, who have been living in their house 20, 30 years, either have it paid off or almost paid off. It's hard for them to find a cheaper place to live, in California. Even if they downsize to a condo, you know, with HOA fees and everything else, it, it's still their carrying costs or their operating costs, rather, kind of get up there. So I believe it's something on the, on the order of 71% of everybody 55 and older that owns a home in California hasn't sold their home since 1999. It's one of the reasons we have an inventory shortage is the normal cycles changed. And the average length of time somebody living in a home now is 13 years. You know, prior to 2008, it was like four to five years. Then it's in each year, it's stretched out a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Now we're bumping up against 13 years now. So all that said, people are moving out of state, as I said earlier. We'll see more inventory coming online that way. There are some new home builders that are building a lot of properties. We'll see that coming up, especially in the Inland Empire. I was driving down through there. Our daughter plays uh, volleyball down at Cal Poly Pomona, and we were going down to see the games this year and we and a couple of them were down at uh, San Bernardino and as you drive through the Inland Empire there's just tracks of neighborhoods going up that you know used to be dirt fields or agricultural fields or whatever it was but you know they're building thousands of homes down there which we haven't seen in a long time so you know that's going to help down there up here San Fernando Conejo Simi Valley not so much we just we're not getting as much building up here but we are seeing more and more inventory coming on the market and it's staying longer which gives us some more equilibrium. We're also going to see more buyers. Generation, I'll I'll call them millennials, but basically Generation Y and the millennials together are a greater number of people than the boomers were even. And the millennial generation is finally getting old enough now and they're finally gaining enough net worth to where they're entering in the market, whether it be they've paid off their student loans or paid them down far enough where that's not in the way anymore. Or they're having kids, so they have to move out of the apartment or condo, and they got to go buy a house. Whatever it is, we're going to start seeing more buyers this year. We're already seeing some of it. 
uh, at least Kirsten and I on a personal level, our phones are ringing. We've got, I'm looking over our sales board. We've got six buyers right now in the pipeline, you know, they're at various stages and they all came online in the last 30 days. So, you know, that, that's a nice bump that we haven't seen for the last couple of years. It was, we had a pretty steady number of buyers and we knew what to expect each quarter. And in just this year, I think the rising interest rates are the biggest spur for, for that, you know, for the people who aren't having kids or, you know, getting older, that kind of stuff. But, well, we're all getting older. Sorry about that. But regardless, we're seeing more buyers. We're seeing more inventory. We are going to see higher interest rates. We already talked about that. But also, we're going to see a more balanced market. I did, again, I don't think it's going to be a normal market because we haven't seen a normal market in 15, 20 years out here. But that said, we'll have four to six months, maybe seven months worth of inventory. That gives buyers much better choices. They're not as competitive. You don't have 10 people trying to buy the same house at the same time and overbidding everything. So it'll be good. Buyers can spend more time, get more educated about the market. You know, we typically show between, I don't know, I, the last three years have really skewed the numbers because basically people, the first house they saw they, they really liked, they'd write on and get into. But, you know, if you take it back to, the period from 2011 to 2015, we typically show between 10 and 20 houses, maybe 25 on the outside, before somebody found a house that they liked. And then it just is each year as the inventory got tighter, that got to be a lower and lower number. Now we're going to go back and we're going to hopefully, you know, 10 to 20 homes take, you know, better part of a month, maybe five weeks, find the right house and jump on it. Sometimes you find the house the very first time. It's funny for years and years and years, Kirsten, I used to say, you're never going to find the house, first house on your first trip, let's just go look at homes, get you feel for the neighborhoods, things like that. And then it was Mark and Risa. They, some clients we had back in uh, 2014. No, yeah, 2014. And the very first house we showed them, they're like, that's the one. And we're like, okay. And they wound up buying it. And love, matter of fact, they just sold it earlier this year. But uh, that was the first time it happened. And every year since then, we've had two or three people that the very first house we showed them was the one they wound up buying. But, you know, as a rule, you got to see a few houses before you get there. But they had bought many homes in the past. They were very, very clear on what they were looking for. They had a clear vision. And as soon as they realized that house met what they were looking for, they were fine. So the luxury of looking for homes again is coming back. That's a good thing. So what is a normal market? The question I was thinking about a lot at lunch today. Because, you know, so many people say, oh, we're going back to a normal market. So is the normal market from 2000, say from 9-11 to 2007 when it turned, is that normal? It's certainly not. We were having 20% year-over-year increases those last three or four years. That's not normal. Is 2011 through 2015 the normal market? I'd say no, because we had homes that had dropped 40% in price over a two-year period, and there were... 18, 19 months going into that particular phase of inventory. That's not normal. And we also had huge institutional investors buying just entire blocks, it seemed, of homes where I think BlackRock still owns, you know, a couple of thousand homes in Los Angeles County that they have as rentals right now. But, you know, that certainly wasn't a normal normal market. The last three and a half years are certainly not a normal market. It's been a red-hot seller's market. I mean, honestly, every home we put out, you know, as soon as a sign went in the yard, even before they got in the MLS, we were getting calls on it. And a lot of times we'd have offers from people who'd never even seen the house or just like, hey, I like that neighborhood. I like that size house. 
here's my offer. You know, we typically don't like accepting an offer from somebody who's never seen the house before, but it is what it is. So I guess, I, I th- you know, I think I came to the conclusion that the last time that there was a normal market was probably the mid to late 1990s, because at that point, interest rates were pretty stable. Inventory, I mean, you had, as a rule, six months of inventory on a, on a year-over-year basis. Comps were 3 to 4%, which were the historical norms. You know, but it's been that long since we've had a normal market. It would be nice. I'd love it if we went back to a normal market because we'd have predictability. Everybody would settle down and say, okay, I'm buying an asset. I'm going to live in it. My main concern is, do I like the house? Do I like the neighborhood? Do I like the schools? And I'm going to make 3 to 4% a year on the investment and more if I pay off, the, or not more, but, you know, it'll be more comfortable if I pay off more of the loan earlier. I can make a 13th or 14th payment each year or whatever you want. But that's my hope. That's I hope. I hope we go to a, a normal market with six months of inventory and three to four percent returns. You know, whether or not we do, that remains to be seen. Hopefully so. But like I said, you know, we'll all go through this together and we'll find out as we go. So at this point, I am getting up on thirty-three minutes, and as Tristan has said, and I actually agree with him, half an hour is a good podcast. Longer than that, you better be really entertaining. And I'm simply not that entertaining right now. But I promise to have more polished podcasts as we go forward. I don't like taking a one-take podcast. There's a lot of mistakes in here that I'll listen to in the future and just cringe as I hear them. But it's good information. i got to get the podcast out there. It's not perfection. It's actually just executing. And I had this time window in my schedule time blocked for podcasting. i got to get it done. You know, it's funny. Time blocking is almost like quantum physics. Everybody understands what it is, but executing it, whole different map so all right that side done here's what we're going to do uh i'm going to wrap it up i would like to say thank you very much to tristan for having the webinar yesterday with lab code agents on facebook if you are a real estate agent and you're not a member of the lab code agents community you're wrong simply go do it sign up get up there we want to break a hundred thousand pretty soon for sharon mccormick over at podcastify was it podcastify i think it was i'm sorry i don't have it in front of me right now uh the way she made me rethink things this particular podcast is not a true reflection of where she's taking me on this but uh i'm happy that she showed me that and opened my eyes a little bit to some of the things she talked about yesterday for those of you listening thank you for getting through this we appreciate it we will be back with a more polished podcast next time i want to thank you for you know giving me the honor for listening to it we certainly appreciate all you Send me an email or a text or a direct message through Facebook. Let me know what topics you would like to hear me cover. Kirsten will cover some of them. I'll cover some of them. We're going to have interviews with certain people, both in inside, inside and outside the industry. There's some cool, really cool local businesses that we want to go. We'll start doing a video series on YouTube for just because I can't talk about real estate all the time. Well, Kirsten will tell you I could talk about real estate all the time, but I don't want to. So... We're going to cover some things, you know, great little shops we like in the in Conejo Valley, Simi Valley, San Fernando Valley, great restaurants we know of, Red's Barbecue, I'm talking about you, and some other things. So stay tuned. We will mix it up. We will have a lot more fun than we had on this one. I want to thank you again for listening. Please send me the email. Give me a text. My cell phone is 805-404-1167. Again, that's 805-404-1167. It's also in the commentary of the podcast description. Tell me what you want me to talk about. We will cover it. It could be real estate related, Jeep related, surfing related. We always got you covered there. So thanks again for listening. 
We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard or you want more info, please give us a call at 805-404-1167. Again, that's 805-404-1167 or send an email to sold at powellfinehomes.com. If you're ready to move on with your life in Los Angeles or Ventura counties, call us even quicker. The team at Powell Fine Homes are your real estate experts and who you hire matters. You can find us on the web, on Facebook, and on Instagram every day, and you'll love the results that our proven systems and model deliver for you. Call, email, or DM us today, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration?